Welcome. The Leadership Lesson Podcast inspires leadership growth in everyone. We have enthralling conversations with top leaders in order to provide you with life-changing lessons. My name is Caleb Nichols. I'm a speaker, a pastor, and a family man. My hope is to inspire spiritual depth and leadership growth in you. I love to sit down with leaders from a variety of fields, hear their personal stories and leadership experiences. This creates the podcast. Enjoy. Now, you were telling me yesterday, what is the biggest thing that has impacted you, uh, shaped you uh, as a leader? Yeah, so um, in terms of leadership and the journey that I've been on, a lot of people talk about these um, victories or successes that they've had that have really defined who they are. For me, it was the opposite. It was a breakdown. And so um, a lot of people in leadership, um, we try to avoid breakdowns. We try to avoid the, the crashes that we have and try to keep everything together. Um, but for me, um, if I can be honest, it was in my marriage. So we had like a breakdown in our marriage and I thought everything's falling apart. But that for me was the, the gateway for a lot of healing, for a lot of restoration. Mm. And so in our leadership training, a lot of this, uh, what we say is your breakdown leads to your breakthrough. Mm. And we look at those areas and we try to dichotomize our life. So I have my leadership, I have, you know, different areas of my life that, that I feel like don't overflow into each other. And we're finding that it directly does. And so you'll have a breakdown appear somewhere in your life that will directly impact the others. And what we found is if you can work on that one thing, um, it leads to like a cascading effect mm. into the others. Mm. And so we work with a lot of people in business and um, people that are in startups and entrepreneurs and they want to um, get success or momentum in their business. And we find out that the real root issue that they're trying to overcome is something to do um, relationally. Mm. So it might be their marriage, something with their kids. And once they fix that, they find that, oh, that's really going to help them in their, in their business. And so we talk about the, the four Fs or four quadrants, which is um, family, finance, fitness, and faith. Mm. And it's usually it's one of those four quadrants that needs work. And so a lot, I work with a lot of pastors, and they always think it's default. It's a faith issue because mm -hmm. they're in ministry and stuff like that. But it could be finance. And what we mean by finance is not just how much money is in your bank account, mm. but it's how you're making your money. So your job, your vocation, mm. are you happy with it? Are you managing your finances well? Do you know what's going on with with um, your income and, mm. and how you're investing that, or it might be family. And it's not necessarily just your blood family. So we have um, circles of relationships that, so for example, like I have a brother and a sister, and, and to be honest, I, have, I spend more time with my church family in relationship with them. Not that I like them more than my brother or sister, <laughs> but it's just the way that we, we work is yeah, yeah. we have people that, are more close to us relationally than our actual family. And so when we talk about family, we're talking about relationships. How are the relationships going? Um, fitness is your health, um, your, your mental state. Are mm. you looking after your body? And then the last one is your faith, your relationship, and walk with God. Mm. And so if one of these breaks down, one of these falls apart, so let's just say from a pastor's point of view, if your finances aren't in, in order, like, um, you know, you need to go travel overseas and attend this and do that. And if, you, if you're not taking care of that, then you can't do the rest. Yeah, you true. can't take your family on trips. You can't spend time with the kids. You're always stressed about money. 
if your relationships are falling apart at work with with your associate pastors or um, you know with your wife or whatever, then then that's going to impact everything else. Mm. You can't do ministry. Mm. Or even if you're fitness, like there's so many people that are in ministry, they're at their peak of their ministry and they have major health complications and they have to pull back and, mm. and take time away. And so we look at what is the area of breakdown in my leadership mm. and then we try to work on that one area, get breakthrough in that area first. So we focus on that. And then um, once there's a breakthrough, it cascades everywhere. Mm. And so for me, that was my marriage. It's, it's amazing how um, what is internal or what is hidden, what can be hidden, uh, is often the thing at the end of the day that uh, can take you out yeah. uh, or can cause that breakdown. And uh, so, so tell us a bit about that, if you don't mind sharing, for you and Jane, your beautiful wife, um, what, when did those issues start to arise and how were they affecting you guys? Yeah, so we just hit a point where we were really busy, both of us. So she was looking after the kids and I was busy in ministry, traveling a lot. And we just realized, oh, hang on, something's not right. Mm-hmm. And we started to catch on and we, we had a, a talk. You know, yeah, we need to, talk, we need, we need to have a talk. We need talk. a talk, yeah. those ones. <laughs> and we had one of those and we realized, hang on, we haven't really been journeying together. We're each mm-hmm. um, kind of out of responsibility out of duty and and we realized hang on it's not going to work if we keep going down this way Mm. and so one of the biggest things that came out for us was two things one was integrity and intention Mm. and those two things um were the issues that i was having in my in my leadership like i was out of integrity and what i mean by that is i was different in different situations or different places yeah yeah so i didn't have integrity of character Mm. so i was trying to be this pastor leader and then and then it was, it was different at home and, and mm. it wasn't flowing on so I had to realize hang on I'm out of integrity here um, I haven't been able to keep what I'd say I'd do so mm. something really simple was I'd say hey son we'll go to the park on Saturday and then um, an important counseling couples counseling comes up and usually it's the family get that gets put on yeah, the yeah. afterburners and and you know, it gets put aside. And so that's where I realized, oh, it's okay. It's for ministry. Oh, it's for work. Mm. But I realized I was out of integrity and I wasn't communicating that. So I, I realized it's okay to to make changes and, and do that. But I had to be honest with mm. with my family, honest with myself about what I could, couldn't do, communicate that. Mm. And it was simply about saying, doing what I was saying that I was going to do mm, mm, mm. and then making amends for it and, and, and um, owning it. Mm. So I think integrity is really about owning my life and, really and being in that same place. And so one of the things that we started doing was instead of making excuses or saying sorry, is acknowledging what I did and acknowledging and making a commitment. Mm. So I could say to my son, oh, sorry. And to him, that meant nothing. Yeah, yeah. Because it meant I'll do it again. I could, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Uh, this is what dad does always when something comes up at church. And it's, it's, so for example, if we had a meeting and I'm like, oh, sorry, I'm five minutes late. And what can you say to that? You say, it's all right. And you just go on. Yeah. But what we found more important was acknowledging it. So you're acknowledging, hang on, I was five minutes late. I didn't value the time. Mm. And my commitment is that I'm, I won't be late anymore. Mm, mm. And that we found was more powerful. I found more powerful when we started doing that, acknowledging and committing versus trying to brush it off with a, yeah. I'm sorry. And, and so, how did you find that when that was out of whack and yeah. your integrity was in question, how was that affecting you 
as a leader. Yeah. So that was appearing everywhere. So you feel like you can handle it, you can cover it. Yeah. But those, so you have to get to this place of vulnerability. So mm. we, we did this thing in one of our leadership sessions where we wrote up what are the qualities of a, of a leader. And we had like boldness, courage, mm-hmm. um, charismatic communication. We put all this stuff on the board and we realized, hang on, what's missing on this board is vulnerability. Mm. And um, I don't know if you've seen all the Brene Brown stuff on vulnerability and stuff. And we found that that's like huge in terms of being a leader. Anything that has to do with creativity and courage, um, the key to to unlocking that is going to be always vulnerability. Mm. So if you're a musician and you write a new song, for you to now show that to someone, there's this period of vulnerability where people are going to hate it, then they're not going to like it. If you're... you're, um, any, any leadership position, so let's just say even in biblical um, um, stories and stuff, in the Bible you look at David who fought Goliath, um, such a courageous thing. But the moment that he's confronting him, he has to get to this place of vulnerability, like I could die. Mm, mm, mm. You know, like you have to overcome that. And so we found the overcoming of fear, confronting that, you have to come to this place of vulnerability. So as a leader, That's very good. I had to like come to this place where, hang on, I, I don't have everything under control. Mm. And if I come out with this, so, you know, I've got issues with my marriage right now. I need to work on this. Even saying I need to work on my marriage, it's such a negative thing. Because yeah. if you say I'm working on your marriage, it's like, oh, they've got issues. Yeah. No, it's a good thing to work on your marriage. Like mm. if I mm. say oh, I've been working on, on my fitness, I've been going to the gym, yeah. you say good on you, mate. Like it's, it's a good thing. You don't have to be, you know, overweight with health problems mm. to go to the gym like it's, it's a good thing. Mm. Same with marriage. If you say I'm working on my marriage, a lot of people view that as a mm. negative thing. With well, and we should always be working on That's right, marriage, relationships, you know, prayer life, things like that. And never they're, they're a lifelong journey. Mm. And I think that's the misnomer, isn't it? That, yeah. that somehow as a leader or as a pastor that you arrive at some place of a perfect marriage. And, and, and it's weird because no one really believes that. But we do talk in a way, as you're saying, as if we're trying to pretend it's okay or pretend we've got this part of our life, whether it's the finance bit or the family bit, uh, down pat. But really, it's the pretending that isn't isn't. There's no integrity there. There's no honesty there. Rather than vulnerability, we're filling it with performance or putting on a show, yeah. and, and that's when. And, and no one can do that for long. Eventually, yeah. the wheels fall off. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and, that, and that's what was happening. Like, my fitness was going down the drain. Mm. Relationships were strained. And, and I, I, even though I'm a pastor, I felt distant from God. And, mm. and it was me that was doing that. He wasn't pulling away from me. Mm. And so we, I just hit this point in my life where, okay, I need to do something. Mm. And so part of that was owning it and then coming out with it. So talking yeah. to people. Telling my um, my my spiritual authority, this is what's going on, mm. and um, and then the next step was having clear intentions. That mm. was that was huge for me. So a lot of the time, I was in a place where my circumstances or my situation was dictating my actions. Yeah, and so it was excuse I can't because of this or. Mm. You know, oh, who can do that? And so I was making excuses. Just always reacting to yeah, situations, yeah. appointments. Yeah. But then I a realized, lot of leaders live like that, yeah. don't they? And think yeah. that that's leadership, that busyness of like, oh, I got called here. And, and and even like I see a lot of leaders, there's like a false importance that comes with mm-hmm. that. It's like, oh, I'm so busy and I've got to go here. And it's almost this sign of being a great leader is somehow that you're busy and, and you have no order in your life. And yeah. 
but it's not and you came to that place yeah so we, we we've worked out the difference between reacting and responding yeah so reacting is like a knee-jerk response like when you touch something hot it's like oh you yeah know, that's yeah, what happens yeah. But responding is like you look at the situation and you're like, what's the best way forward? Yeah, yeah. And you formulate a plan. And so we started to respond to the circumstances around us. But the big thing for us was having clear intentions. And so a lot of the time, um, I was in a place where it's all about the mechanics. So if mm. I know how to do it, I can do it. Yeah. But I don't know how to do it, so I can't. But I realized it wasn't that that was the issue. It was intention. So when, mm. when, you, have, when you have the intention... Like, you know how people say, where there's a wheel, there's a way? Like, yeah, that's yeah. literally how it is. Mm. So let's just say, you know, flying an airplane, would you say it's more mechanics or more intention? Most people say it's mechanics because you need to take a pilot's course and you need to know how to do it. It's difficult, yeah. yeah. Performing a surgery as a doctor, is that mechanics or is that intention? Like, would you trust someone that's really, really enthusiastic and, and, and intentional about doing your surgery? Mm. Or would you trust someone that has the the skill or the mechanics of how to do that, mm. well, the answer is you want to trust someone who has intention. And the mm. reason why is the doctors that have the skill that went through like seven years of medical training is because they were intentional about becoming yeah. a doctor. You don't accidentally wake up in yeah, pilot yeah. school. You don't accidentally wake up and, oh, I'm a surgeon. Mm. The skill set comes out of a place of having intention. Mm. But we focus so much on the mechanics of trying to get it right, of mm. how do I do this, but really what makes things happen is the intention. And so in my marriage, I became a bit more intentional. Mm. Um, in my relationship with my kids, in my relationship with God, I became more intentional. And when I wasn't um, in integrity, mm. so I'd say I do this and I wasn't, I found it was because I lacked intention. Mm. Mm. I didn't have clear intentions. Yeah. So going back to... Clear intentions, that's a yeah. great way to put it. Yeah. So someone, someone who rocks up 10 minutes late to a meeting again, so they say, oh, sorry, I'm late. The reason why they were late was not because they were busy, not because their trains got cancelled. It's because they lacked clear intention. So mm. if I had clear intentions about being on time, mm. I would have made sure that I checked the traffic. I would have made sure that mm. there was fuel in the car and I didn't have to fuel up on the way. Mm. And so I found when I had clear intentions, it was less excuses, mm -hmm. um, less circumstances that were dictating how I was living. Mm. And I was able to create the pathway that I wanted to be on. Mm. That's awesome. Excuses are a, are a massive one. I remember coming to that place in my own leadership, probably in my 20s, where you just realize, am, am I going to, and this is part of being honest, am I going to be honest and just go, I'm not here because I didn't want to be here, or I messed this up because I actually didn't give it time to it, and actually taking personal responsibility for everything. And it's a really tough, or it's a bit of pill to swallow because you realize that, man, it's, it's all going to be on me. But that's the best way to live, to actually take responsibility for everything and really to um, get rid of all excuses. Like, you know, like what we, we had trouble with um, some of our babies sleeping in mm. early in our marriage and that was hard. But then when you really peel it back, we chose to have a baby. Yeah. So it's like the ultimate responsibility at the end of the day always lies with you. It's very rare cases where you are really a truly a victim and someone who's gone out of their way to violently or oppressively like make your life difficult. Most of the time you've made some choice that you, you could have made differently. And that and that's a really big thing. So I love that about the intentions and the clear intentions, really good. Tell us, so you've had phenomenal leadership experience. You've been all over the world. You've worked in different countries. 
Your Korean Australians are born here, but um, got lots of connections in Korea. You've done lots of mission works, just phenomenal. I mean, we could do a whole podcast on the cities you've visited, <laughs> which you probably don't even remember. Do you have any idea how many planes you've been on or countries you've been to? Or No, I know my passport, my last passport's full. I still got like, you know, a couple of years left on it, but yeah. it's full, so we had to get yeah. pages added and oh, stuff like that. It's just amazing yeah. all over the place. But you've also worked with a lot of um, young people yeah. and, and done a lot of leadership development with young people. Yeah. So tell us maybe a little bit about that. And also, even as a leader cross-culturally, what's it like working in leadership or in churches in different nations? You're constantly kind of straddling... Yeah. You were just telling me last night, you know, dealing with Koreans about this conference you're organising, but then all these Aussies are coming. Yeah. You've got to, like, interpret the culture for everyone. Yeah. Uh, again, like, um, so I was part of a big mega church in Korea, 75,000 members. Wow. I was looking That's after... Big yeah, it is a big <laughs> church. I was looking after the college and uh, youth ministry on the English-speaking side. And, and so that gave me a huge um, experience and access to working with young people from, from a lot of different cultures. So the college ministry that I was a part of, we had like people from South America, from America, Philippines, Australia, mm. and they're all in this one place mm. trying to work things out and all the different cultural things are coming out. And so um, it's, it's fun. Like at the end of the day, you, everyone wants the same goal. They want to grow as a leader. Mm. It, it comes down to communication. And communicating across cultures is a huge challenge. Like learning. You're an expert, I have to say. (laughs) I wouldn't say I'm an expert. I just had a little bit of experience growing up here. And um, yeah, the the first thing that we learn when it comes to working with different cultures is it's not about right and wrong, it's different. Mm. It's just a different way of doing things. And there's ways that we can honor culture and in there create a new culture. Hmm. And so this is what I'm seeing with my kids. So for me, it's easy. Like I grew up, I was born in Australia. I grew up in Australia and my parents are first generation Korean. So they were, they grew up and lived in Korea and they came and immigrated to Australia. Mm-hmm. And so it was very clear for me where, where I was. So I'm hmm. born in Australia. I'm growing up culturally Australian. All my friends are Australian and my parents are Korean. So I just needed to switch hats between the two. Mm. So I come home and there's my Korean parents. I put my Korean hat on and then outside I put my Australian hat on. My kids have it a little bit differently. So my kids are growing up in Australia and their parents look Korean, Mm. but they're Australian. Mm. But we're going to be living in the Middle East. Mm. Mm. So for them, it's going to be really confusing (laughs) about you know, what it's going to be like. So outside, when they're out in the street, they'll be in the Middle East. Mm. When they come home, it's going to be, I don't know, Australian, <laughs> Korean culture at home. And that's yeah. usually how it is. Like when you come home, there's a different culture. Yeah. And so here, they, they, they're going to become what we call third culture kids. So mm. they're going to create their own culture. Mm. And so what that means is they've got a set of values and a set of actions that reflect that culture. Mm. And you just have to honor that and work mm. within there to, to create. So in developing leaders, people, the, the thing that's given us a real open door in the areas that we're working right now is people need to see it. So you can come in with like all these qualifications, pieces of paper with your name on it, and it doesn't mean anything. Mm. Um, what we're finding right now is people are looking for a leader 
who has a lot of people following that leader. Mm. So you look at that leader and they want to see the fruit. Mm. And so the biggest feedback that we get is, can you make our people like yours? Mm. So we've moved together as a team. So when we travel, we always bring a whole group of people. Mm. And so in the pre-meeting stuff, so even right now with Korea, um, they're like, okay, so when are you coming? And I'm like, oh, I'm coming on the 28th. So um, are you coming alone? Is it all, will your family be coming? So mm. I say, my family is coming and I'm bringing 12 interns with me. Mm. And they're like, 12 interns? Like, that's a lot of accommodation that we need to look after and um, people that come to the airport to pick people up. And the reason why we do that is that's how we do the leadership training. So I'm doing this leadership training in Korea and I'm not going to do it alone. I'm going to do it with these 12 guys that mm. I'm taking with me. And people see that and then the feedback is, we want that. We yeah. want to be able to create that. We want to have our people follow, lead alongside of us. Can mm. you create that for us? And mm. that's been that's been huge for us. Mm. That's really powerful. So how do you do, if you go from Australia and some of these guys in the 12, uh, uh, like yourself, have been born here, some born in Korea. How do you go and then go to Korea where everyone's speaking Korean, it's yeah. a different culture, yeah. and how do you do that? And Do you not lose things in translation or? Yeah, so that's that's been the biggest challenge, I think, even of the church in Australia, especially mm. in the Korean immigrant churches, you have this massive first-generation Korean church. So even just in Sydney alone, in that one city, there's over 300 Korean churches. Wow. And so... Um, there's, there's this existing Korean church and it goes to the next generation, their kids, and they're leaving the church. Mm. Um, even in Korea, that's happening. So there's this generational gap that's, that's broadening. And how, we, how much of that is a faith thing and how much is a just cultural like reacting? I don't want to be like my parents. Yeah, I think, I think you can't separate it. Both, yeah. yeah, you can't separate it. Like the, the, uh, you know, we try to have, uh, this is the reason and it's because of that. It's not... You know, when we're, we're, we're finding more and more, culture is almost an excuse. That's the excuse they mm, use. So mm. we're different. You guys are different. You guys don't understand. That's what they always yeah, say. Yeah. You don't understand me. You don't care about me. And that's culture is the excuse. But we realize there's something different there in our value system or in the way that we do church. Mm. And so we have these guys that are also Korean Australian. So their parents are from Korea. They're born in Australia. And they have like a 15 year 20 year gap with me mm. age gap mm. 20 years younger so I, I could be old enough to be their dad you know? <laughs> but i'm not you know? <laughs> but the thing is i'm finding so they're like oh you get along with them because you're korean australian i'm like no i'm experiencing a massive generation yeah. gap with these guys and the yeah. way that they speak and the way that they act <laughs> and you know and even that's a struggle and so we're realizing oh and i could make an i could make a million excuses yeah. why i can't run with these guys yeah, yeah. why i can't um, do ministry with them and why I can't train them. But mm. we stopped making excuses. Again, it's clear intentions. Yeah. And so we said, let's do it. And we're finding if you are able to dig out the key like principles mm. and then translate that into whatever culture and, and, and yeah. thing that you're trying. So we worked out in Korean culture. So if I was to hand you this coffee in Korea because mm. you, you know, you're in leadership, I'd use two hands. And, mm. and so we looked at these cultural actions in Korea and we looked at what's the value behind it? Mm. What's the why do they do that instead of just blindly? Yeah, like where did it come from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because because culture, <laughs> we do stuff in culture without understanding why it happens. Mm. Have you mm. heard the thing about the monkeys? You get five monkeys and you put them in a cage and mm. you hang a banana off mm -hmm. the off the top and 
there's like these stairs that go up and monkeys natural problem solvers so they're like yeah. oh there's a banana yeah. and one starts to go up and the moment he goes to reach for that banana you spray all five of them with water and they hate water mm. and they realize hang on there's a banana up there but if one of us tries to get it we're going to get hit with water and mm. says it's not worth it they mm. all agree not to mm. not to go up you replace one of those original monkeys with a with a new one mm. And he's like, hey, you guys notice there's a monkey, uh, there's a banana up there, and he starts to go up. And before he does, the other four tackle him Pulling and down. beat him yeah. up. And, and you slowly replace all of the original five that got wet. Yeah. And you have a group of monkeys that have no idea of you're going to get sprayed with water, mm. but they just know if anyone tries to get it, we're going to beat them yeah, up. Yeah. And that's culture. Yeah. That's how it gets created. Like there's this repeated action over and over again, and a lot of the times you lose the reason why or the value mm, behind it, mm. and you just do it blindly. Mm. And so when we're working with multiple cultures in the same place, we try to discern the, the value, mm. and we interpret that and we apply that mm. in that context with our actions with a little bit of explanation. And how's that affecting the young people you work with? Yeah, so they begin to see it. So. So what, we talk about this stuff in, in, in our preparation for this career trip that's coming up. We have to do this and we're doing this. And they're like, oh, why do we have to do it? And I explain a culture of honor. Mm. And so we, that's what we're trying to create. We're trying to create a culture of honor. We're trying to honor each side. We're trying to meet what they want to do. And they begin to go, oh, okay, that's how it makes sense. Mm. But the thing is, I could explain all day, but until they see it, like the impact in the room that it has, okay. yeah. and then they get it. Everyone gets it, and we have like this, can you do the next one? <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. And, and, they, and they really enjoy it. So we've had conferences like that in, in Australia at our church yeah, yeah. where you know we've had Crosslink come, and everyone loved it because all we did was we took elements of Korean culture, yeah. of serving, of honoring. We just applied it there, and, mm. and we've had a really good result. It's a phenomenal uh, culture, the Korean culture, and obviously meeting you, uh, what, seven or eight years ago, and... I didn't know any Koreans or <laughs> Korean Australians before you, and now I hang out with a whole bunch of you, and it's an amazing culture. The, the whole honour, like you said before, handing the cup with the two hands and all of these things, and it's a funny how I get treated when I hang out with you guys and the way things are asked, and it's very different to Aussie culture. Like we're very, Aussies are very casual, aren't mm. they? And very, nothing's kind of sacred. Mm. Whereas, that's that's probably the biggest thing I notice with Korean culture is there's a lot of things that are sacred and especially the hierarchy of um, ages and and leadership positions is very strong hierarchy very yeah. hierarchical and 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 everyone knows their place in the chain and everyone respects that and yeah it's very interesting it's very yeah. interesting how it, how it happens it's been a, a learning curve um, for me but tell us a little bit about because you've got a fascinating story yeah. so you, you met God. Um, gave your life to Jesus uh, to follow him, yeah. and then you ended up in it, that giant Korean, uh, as an Australian Korean, you ended up in Korea in a church of 75,000 people, which yeah. we can't even comprehend in Australia. Yeah. Like No church is even close to that in Australia. Like Hillsong's got maybe 20,000. Um, but tell us, how, how did you end up there? And then how did you go from there to like a medium-sized church in the suburbs of Western Sydney? Yeah. So <laughs> it's a great story. Um, I don't know, that's a, when I was in the church in Australia, I really struggled, like as in the Korean church here. There okay. were so many, like the Korean culture stuff in church was like, I couldn't make sense of most of it. I mean, you know, I went to Bible college and it was complete opposite of some of the cultural stuff that was happening in church. And, 
And I had an opportunity to go to America, and we did. We did an internship at IHOP, and that was really good for us. And mm. and um, when we came back um, to our church in Australia, um, things had changed. There's there's lots of shifts in the church, and and we thought it was time to move on. And so we're in this place of praying um, about what we're going to do next. And um, one of my old mentors was in Korea mm-hmm. um, at a at at the church, at the mega church in Korea, and he just. We were just sharing about our our um, experience, um, and he said, "Why don't you come over?" Mm. Um, oh, before that, there was this. There was this. Uh, when I was at IHOP, there was this guy talking about Korea, mm. and um, we just had a service one day, and he just he he's not he wasn't Korean. I think he was Chinese American. Mm. Had this prophetic word about Korea, and um, he was talking about how it used to be the second largest missionary sending mm, nation mm. in the world. Yeah. But the youth in Korea are currently leading the world in suicide, depression, mm. alcohol addiction, abortion, and all of these things. The teenagers in Korea were were like the number one or number two nation in all these negative things. Mm. And I was like, who is this guy thinking you knows about? <laughs> Who's this non-Korean <laughs> spouting all Chinese guys <laughs> spouting all these like Korean stats? And and so I started to look into it. And in that moment, I got a really big heart for wow. the youth in Korea. Wow. And so I started sharing that on my social media, like little prayers and stuff. And and then when I talked with our my old mentor in, in Korea, he said, why don't you come over and, and be a part of our youth ministry? Okay. And so things were winding up in Australia. And I actually, our heart was, I'm never coming back to Australia again. And a little bit hurt, a bit of a chip on my shoulder from the Korean church. But we're going to this opportunity to go to the mega church in Korea. So we said yes. and we And we ended up there. And I had an amazing time, like yeah. just being a part of something so big. Like it's, it's, it's. What's fun. it like? What's it like a church that oh, big? Like you obviously don't meet everyone in the so, church. So, like <laughs> you I don't think, know everyone. I don't even know. Like on our on our main campus, there's so many rooms, <laughs> and I remember like um, like on a Sunday, there's like 50 services that happen on that campus. Wow. Like it's just back to back to back. At one time, there's like seven simultaneous services going on. Really? Wow. Um, so it's just auditoriums and rooms. Yeah, so there's one main one with like six overflow rooms and there's different. So my office or our office, our English ministry office was on like the sixth floor and our worship hall was on B2, so <laughs> second floor of the basement. So it's like wow. eight floors that I have to get and through. And this would be like a multi-million dollar yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's crazy. So, wow. so, I, so to get to my worship hall where I have my little youth thing is the exact time that one of the main services break. Oh, yeah. So it's like I'm going against the flow of 15,000 people. <laughs> I'm trying to get in. They're trying to get out. And wow. it's just, it, was, it was just like just to be a part of something like that was so amazing. That, that church is, um, uh, their heart is for missions. Mm. They had this vision of sending um, 2,000 missionaries by 2020. Wow. And I think they got really close. We got really close to doing that. They, it was wow. such an amazing amazing place to be it was it was quite an experience <laughs> and um so you get a little bit famous do you not famous but <laughs> opportunities happen so for example the church you know kind of funds you to go get your driver's license in korea yeah. so i got my driver's license i had one but there, there's this like you know there's levels of that used to in australia there used to be like a silver and a gold and all yeah. that in korea it's the same there's the, these different levels and so i was just um when i you can swap your license. So I swapped my Aussie license for a Korean license, which was a number 
number one license, but they wanted me to get a number two. Yeah. And so they paid for me to get a number two license. And yeah. you, do, you, you do a driving test in this three-ton truck that's manual. <laughs> yeah. And if you pass, which is no, no issues, we did it, we, I passed it. And the reason why they get you to do that is so you can drive the church van. <laughs> You know, and, and so, um, you know, there's only a limit. I was wondering why the other guys on staff weren't getting their vet, the license. <laughs> yeah. And it's because there's like two guys on our staff that have that license. So every time the, the van needs to be yeah. driven, it's like, you're up. <laughs> and so I, got, I get this call one day and says, Mike, you're, you're up. You know, you've got to drive the van. And it's like, oh, I've got to pick up someone from the airport, stuff like that. And, and, they, and the reason why they ask us is it means someone that's English speaking is coming oh, yeah. and they need someone. So I went to the airport and it's Francis Chan. Oh, yeah. And I was like, wow, you know. <laughs> now, one time we got to pick up David Platt, yeah, um, uh, you know, Philip Yancey. It's yeah. like crazy like that, that you get to meet um, this, people. This global, yeah, global speakers, speakers yeah, that come wow. in because our church is so big. And, and so that was good. Like when I had Francis Chan in the car, like we were driving somewhere. And if I took this way, it would have taken 20 minutes. And if I go that way, it takes 40 minutes. I went the 40-minute way so I could have a chat with him in the car. It was really good. It was, it was just it's awesome. Like a mentoring session. Yeah, yeah, a little mentoring session with Francis Chan. That was really good. And, and they, they, you were kind of like, I forget the word you used to describe it. You're kind of a bit of a golden child, though, in the Korean church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Being yeah. able to speak. Korean and English. English, yeah. It's usually kind of, one or the other. Yeah. And I couldn't at first. but What I did they call you? A golden child or something like that. <laughs> that didn't call me. I don't know. Like, it was just because um, I tried really hard to 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 maintain my roots with the Korean side yeah, and, yeah. And, and be linked to the Korean ministry. So I remember once they were writing up the bio for one of the guest speakers. I forgot who it was. And so I got called into the senior pastor's office and they said, could you proofread this? Oh, yeah. Make sure the English is okay because it's going out on the broadcast. So I checked it. So stuff like that yeah. gave me opportunity to go in. And then the senior pastor's son was in the youth ministry. That helped. Oh, okay. So I got to see him a few times because of that. And, was, yeah. and how did you, so how, tell us how you got from there. Yeah. Because again, talking leadership. Yeah. Often we misunderstand leadership as getting to the biggest and the best yeah. and whatever. And so most people in our world, yeah. as a pastor, church world, would be like, well, that is the pinnacle. And then from there, 75,000 in the church, you work your way up, try and become the most powerful, important, have the biggest platform, be known, write a book, whatever. Yeah. But I don't know if that was your intention, but I know that your path took you know, uh, you went a very different path. Yeah, yeah. So how did that happen? So this is where it's a little bit of a, not a criticism, but one of the difficult things about being in Korea is changing culture is very difficult. Mm. And one of the things within the Korean church, and I understand where it's from and the wisdom behind it, mm. but then there's also no freedom to to have a, an alternative Mm-hmm. So in, in ministry, you need to be fully um, fully theologically qualified. And yeah. what that means is you went to Bible college and you've got a master's of divinity. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no other way. And so in Australia, though, when we were in ministry, it was okay to get a bachelor of theology mm-hmm. or a diploma of theology or just have some sort of training, be under some sort of covering, and then... You know, you've got fruit in your church. Mm. In Korea, you, you have to have a Masters of Divinity. Mm. So I transitioned from doing ministry in Australia to Korea. And being in the position that I was, there was no issues doing youth ministry, college ministry. 
And then it came to ordination and continuing in the church. And they were like, we can't. Mm. Even though I'd been in that church for a couple of years, I got all this ministry experience. Um, I Just because you're not qualified. I enough. didn't have the Master of Divinity at that stage. Mm. And so I said, what do I need to do then, mm. you know, to, to satisfy these requirements? And so, well, you have to go to a university and, and, and get a bachelor's first. And then after that, then you can get your Masters of Divinity. And then, so they're, they're looking at like, if I did just pure full-time study, um, seven years of study in Korea. Wow. So this is, I'm an English speaker. Seven years of study in Korea. In Korea, be tough. <laughs> paying up front for seven years of schooling wow. while I have a family in it. So it's like impossible. Yeah, they're yeah, like, yeah. you know, and I was like, oh, okay. And there's no other way, and there's no other way. Wow. And so, so it's was, that narrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and, was, then, and then and that must create somewhat of a crisis well, of leadership or young people coming through, does it? Or Kind of. Or is it so strong that there's still people beating that track? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's difficult. Mm. And so I was like, what do I do? And um, at that time, I had an opportunity to meet my current senior pastor, mm. And um, we just met. He just wanted to talk. We both had a heart for missions. My mum was attending that church. Mm-hmm. And he had heard that. This is the one in Sydney. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He had heard that her, her son was a pastor and just wanted to see what he was like. So we just met up at a coffee shop, had a little bit of a chat about missions and stuff and, and um, didn't really kick it off. Because <laughs> the first thing he said to me was like, yeah, I'm not interested in starting an English ministry. Yeah. And I was kind of like, then why do you want to see me? Because like, that was your deal. That was like, my that thing, was yeah. You Usually, know. like, I'd have a pastor come say, oh, you know, we need you in Australia. You know, yeah, yeah. we, we want to start an English ministry. You know, that you know, that's what I was good for. Because in, in an ethnic church, as I understand it, yeah. that's really the key yeah. to keeping the... Kids that are people, born yeah, in Australia yeah, yeah. or even reaching beyond your ethnicity, you need yeah. competent um, people who speak English and the native language. Yeah. yeah so it's a pretty unique. Yeah. So he begins the conversation with, yeah, I'm not interested in English ministry. <laughs> yeah. And he just, we just talked about missions and what mm-hmm. God's doing and, and that. And then at the end of the conversation, usually there's like, oh, well, you know, our church is willing to pay you this or yeah. could you come over in six months? We'll try it. Here's the <laughs> offer on the table. And he goes to me, do you want to run as father and son? Yeah. And I, I think my mind, I'm like, what is he talking about? I had no grid of understanding of yeah, yeah. what he was saying. I have a dad. Yeah, okay. yeah, but yeah, yeah. I'm not an orphan, you know. But I realized I was spiritually. Yeah. And um, I said, yeah, I pray about it. Because we were like, we had just had our, our, um, our second child and we're in Korea thinking about what to do next. And, mm. I said, I'm not coming back to Australia. And, and here I am going from like this, you know, 75,000 yeah. member mega church to now going to like this, you know, 200 member yeah. little Korean church in, <laughs> in, in Lidcombe that doesn't even have an English ministry. <laughs> and there's no, there's no offer on the table of anything. Like mm-hmm. he's not saying if you come, you'd be able, well, you know, you can... Yeah. work we'll pay you this there was nothing it was just like do you want to run this so i actually didn't know how much i was getting paid till i got my first paycheck, paycheck. in the bank i was like oh that's how much i'm getting paid <laughs> and well, so it was, it was like that but i went back told my wife and something inside of our spirit was like go 
Mm. Like I just knew. It's a real something. act of faith then. Yeah. To really yeah. listen to God and. Yeah, and there was something about the conversation that we had that was mm. like, okay, this guy's different. Mm, mm. There's something there in his character, in his spirit, like he's this, he's the real deal mm, type mm, guy. Mm. And so I was like, let's go. I mm. said to Jane, let's go. I don't know what it's going to look like, you know. And I think they might send us yeah. to the field because talking, he was talking about missions a lot. And that was something that you and Jane had wanted to do initially, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, we Even when you got married, yeah. you wanted to be missionaries. And, yeah. yeah. And so we went and it was life-changing. I didn't realize um, having um, a spiritual father make, would make such a big difference. Mm-hmm. Like that was a game changer for me. Explain, it, explain how you understand that to someone who might not even be a Christian. Like what, what does a spiritual father figure look like and how did that impact you? Yeah. It's, if you look in the Bible, all the guys that raised up people. So I realized, okay, there was Moses and there was a Joshua. Yeah. There was an Elijah and Elisha. Yeah. There was a Paul and there was a Timothy. Like mm. we have, you see these Mordecai and Esther. There's yeah. always someone that has like this father type role mm. to the next generation leader. And it's a very different relationship to like boss and employee yeah. or pastor and and congregation, and I'm not saying any of those relationships are bad. Yeah, it's just different. Yeah, it's yeah. different. And so, as a as a father, what was very different was um, there was this heart of championing me. Mm-hmm. So I have my son Elijah, and my heart is is that he would be successful. It's not how can my son help me in my business or my ministry. Yeah. How yeah. is he of a benefit to me? Mm. No, it's just like I want to see him do well in whatever he's called to do. Mm. It's like I want to champion him. I want to support him, encourage him, and mm. and I don't get upset or jealous if he does well. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas in a lot of ministry um, job places, there's that kind of insecurity about success and stuff but in the father-son relationship there isn't like mm. the father wants the son to 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 do the best that they can mm. and there's a lot of sacrifice and i didn't understand that at first mm. and also on in the same way there's a lot of correction and rebuke mm. but it's done out of love and that's what people usually think of when they hear this father-son relationship there's harsh discipline and mm. And rebuke, and yes, there is. But even the Bible, you know, says a good like a son receives discipline. Mm, like that's mm. the mark of a of a son in Hebrews is that you can receive that type yeah. of um, discipline. Because I don't go around disciplining kids on the street. Like no. I'm at I'm at the shops and be like, no, you should. If it was my son, I would. And that's yeah. the mark. Like I'm disciplining my son out of love so that he can build character yeah. and be yeah. successful. And that was happening. I've never had anyone do that in my life. And, like, and, and that's the model of Christ. Yeah, yeah. Jesus learned through discipline. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, so it's, it's powerful. But, and within, within that um, framework, that different kind of relationship, yeah. there's that unconditional love yeah, that yeah. surrounds it. So yeah. that, and that's where discipline is powerful and works well, like with a good parent to a child, a healthy parenting. Yeah. It's actually, I think it's really sad how parenting often in our culture at the moment uh, dismisses that yeah. or, or, or waters down discipline yeah. for fear of making the kid not happy or hurting them or whatever. But it's actually a misunderstanding of real love is actually bringing correction and rebuke and because it's a understanding that I'm, I'm training a child, you know, a future adult here. Yeah. 
and the same in that spiritual father son relationship. It's the I'm I'm investing in the next generation. I'm investing in Mike, the next generation, and that's going to require love, but it's also going to require refining and feedback and those yeah. kind of things. So it's obviously that was a dramatic impact and not something you experienced in the seventy five thousand. Yeah, yeah, mega church. yeah. And I'm not saying that, that the mega church is bad or any no. other leadership or that. It's it just, just wasn't the model. It's just different model. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, what, and so what shifted in me was here I was, my vision is this, this is what God's called me to do, this is what I'm good at. One of the things we talk about is we talk about leaving your bags at the door, mm. which is whatever you have that's good or bad, just leave them. And we talk about carrying your dad's bag. Mm, mm. And uh, so I have a spiritual father, so I leave my bags, and that's my, my ambition, my dreams, my vision. I'm not getting rid of them. Mm. I'm just putting them down, mm. and I'm carrying his bags. Mm. That's the picture. Like if you have a father, as he gets older, mm. he can't carry the bags like he used to. His <laughs> yeah. body's not the same. I'm feeling it at 40. You know? Yeah. <laughs> And I'm so, 39, so I don't feel that yet. <laughs> so I'm carrying, so it's this thing about carrying his bags, carrying his vision. Mm-hmm. And then what I realized later on is like, because it's, it's even in, within our church, I don't have to prove myself to anyone mm-hmm. because I'm not doing what I want. It's not my ministry. Yeah. I'm carrying the leader of our church. I'm carrying his bags. Mm-hmm. And so everything I do has authority. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm carrying this bag. And it's like, can I put this here? And they see his name on it. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, yes, yeah, you can put it here. Mm-hmm. And so that gave me a lot of, I, I'd say, like standing within our network, within our church, because mm-hmm. I wasn't doing my own thing. They yeah. didn't see, oh, here's the English speaking guy. Oh, yeah, here's, yeah, the, yeah. here's the children's ministry guy. Now I was carrying the, the father's bag. And that built a trust relationship within me and my spiritual father. Mm. And then what I found later was he was putting his name on the bags that I'd put down. Mm, mm. And he was validating this stuff that I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, anyway, but it was this time that if I had brought those bags in, I would have hurt myself and hurt everyone yeah, yeah, around yeah. me. And so there's this process of trusting and building and, and uh, you know, so I've, you know, people find this weird when I talk to my other friends in ministry, and I don't know how people listening might find this, but I've kind of let go of that now. Yeah. Like, I, I'm, I'm okay not to pick those up. Yeah. You die to all those yeah, ambitions yeah, yeah. and that. Yeah. And it's like, I'm happy to build with him. So, just recently, like, he's in his 50s. And um, so, he's not that, that much older than mm. me. There's like mm. a 15, 10, 15 yeah, yeah. gap between us, you know, but I just honor him as a father. Mm. And he he recommitted his life. We had this little thing during one of this one of our little family worship times mm. overseas, and he's just like, "I'm recommitting the next ten years to the Middle East, mm. you know, to do this." And I was watching him, and he's at the stage in Korean ministry where he has a lot of respect. He's at the age where a lot of churches would want someone like that to come on board on staff, and mm. he'd be set until retirement, pretty mm. much. But he's like, "No." Because um, we he, we had this talk, like we were like, you know, if you were ever to go back into the church, because he's on the mission field right now, mm. if you were to ever to go back into the church, this is it. Mm. Like there's this window, you know, yeah, like yeah. even as an athlete, there's like a yeah. there's like this window where you could either go back, but if you don't go back now, it's going to be really difficult yeah, to like yeah. plant, get hired later yeah, on. Yeah. You just can't do it, and so he realizes that, and he just prayed about it, and was like, I'm doing ten years. On mm. the field. So that when he finishes that 10-year period, 
he's going to be in his mid-60s, you know, mm -hmm. his retirement age. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, you know, what am I going to do? And I said, mm -hmm. I commit my 10 years to help you with your 10 years. Mm. And so I'm in the start of my 40s. This is where young church-driven pastor, you know, stuff like that. And I have offers in Australia to help take over churches, become on staff and I realized for me, this is, this is it too. This is my mm. window. Mm. And I just, I just knew I wanted to build his. Because mm. a lot of guys place. our age in your position, yeah. so I'm a senior pastor, so yeah, I'm kind yeah. of set where I am yeah. unless God tells me to do something yeah. else. But someone in your position, maybe like as an associate or on mm. the main pastoral team, mm -hmm. often they go out now and start yeah, their church, right. don't yeah. they? It's yeah. like I've done 20 years of leadership, yeah. 10 years of pastoring, you know, like I'll launch out and yeah. do my thing, which is very Western Aussie as well. Yeah. Like now I'll do my independent, autonomous. Yeah. But I love what you're talking about. It's it's and this is a phenomenal leadership um, paradigm that's very rarely touched on, where you're actually putting all that ambition, even your rights, because if you did that, no one would bat an eyelid. Everyone would mm -hmm. be like, yeah, mm -hmm. totally fair enough. Mike's done his time. He's paid his dues. But to, to say, no, I won't do that, but I'll stay partnered to the older guy yeah. or partnered to the, you know, little church in the Lidcombe, yeah. you know, <laughs> little suburb of Sydney, yeah. you know, is it, it, really powerful. And it's, it's, it's unusual. So we, had, we actually had this conversation where we sat down and he says, you know, you're ready. Mm. You, know, you could plan a church and you could take over one. And if you do, I'll support you. Yeah. We'll financially support you till you get on your feet. Mm. If you want to go go to another church or if you want to do that, because we, our network's quite broad. Mm. He was, you know, I could I'll ask around doors, doors for yeah, you. Yeah. And, you know, whatever you choose to do, I'd I, I bless you. And that's what a spiritual father does. It's not like, you know, you're leaving, you're dead to me. It wasn't like that. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's <laughs> and that's what I was going to say. That's actually the sign of that true mentoring and yeah, fathering yeah. is yeah. that if you wanted to do that, they would support you. Yeah, yeah. It's not like, well, I'll help you and support you and love you unconditionally while you're on this path, helping yeah. me. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, well, if you go there, I, I may have an opinion, but that's fine. I'll support yeah. you. You know, no, it's really powerful. And so, yeah, well, big model for us was um, Moses and Joshua. He's there as his, it says servant. Moses, mm. uh, Joshua is the servant of Moses, which means he's the dude that holds the water jug when he's washing his hands and feet after he comes in. Mm putting his sandals on, stuff like that. Mm. And he stays with Moses at his side until Moses dies. Mm. And then after Moses dies, like it says Moses dies, Joshua 1.1, 1, 1, mm. we see the, you know, his leadership begin. Mm. And then we see Elijah and Elisha, and there's Elijah up until the day that, you know, he's taken Take up to heaven. heaven. Yeah. Elisha's there annoying him, following him mm. around mm. from mm. place to place. He's like, what do you want? Mm. And he goes, give me a double portion of your spirit. Mm. He's like, all right, you can take it when I go. And then the mantle mm. falls on him. And there's like this transition. So I want to be that guy that's there when, you know, my spiritual father, you know, finishes his ministry. Goes in a chariot of goes fire. Goes by <laughs> and I'm the mantle, <laughs> split the water with my cloak and, you know. But then for me, it's not about, oh, I'm giving up. You know, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm just holding on till he dies. It's not that. Yeah, you're not waiting it out. Yeah, yeah. There's like a genuine joy mm. in building together. Mm. And it's almost as if his vision has become my... Mm. I, I'm beginning... Okay, I wouldn't say his... I'm beginning to see what he sees. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I like it. Yeah, like yeah. I genuinely want to build it. I genuinely want to be a part of it. Yeah. And that's why it's so fun because we're not burning energy 
competing with these yeah. different things. I'm not saying well, it's synergizing. Easy. It's the opposite. Yeah, yeah. You're actually there, there are differences. Like I said, he's you know first generation Korean. I'm Korean Australian. I'm mm. more. And when I say Korean Australian, I'd say I'm culturally Aussie, mm. but my parents' background is mm. Korean, so I'm much more at home in in an Australian cultural context than mm. Korea. And then so even with me and him, and then um, there's a generational gap and a cultural gap. So we struggle to communicate via text. Yeah. Like, like we're like so, so close, but even on text, it's like there's so much miscommunication <laughs> too. So we do well when we're face to face. Yeah, yeah. You know, like we have to, because there's so many cues that we need to help us in our community. So it's hard. But we have this amazing relationship where we're building and synergizing together and it's so fun. And, and, then, and then so out of all of this with um, your pastor and coming to Sydney, yeah. now you are, mm-hmm. after all these years, I think you were telling me it's been 18 years since you first kind of felt you and your wife, we want to be missionaries. Yeah, yeah. Now, 18 years later, you've just launched, like you leave this week to yeah, go to yeah. the Middle East to yeah. become full-time missionaries. Yeah. Let's, let's finish on that. Like what... How do you feel about that? I mean, for a lot of people listening, like to move with a young family, yeah. all your kids are under 10, yeah. uh, to the Middle East yeah. uh, in order to be full-time, no job security, no wage security, no mm-hmm. house, mm-hmm. leave the so-called comforts of Australia. Yeah. You know? And I know you don't see this as a sacrifice, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> explain that to our listeners. Like, like, what is it to be a full-time missionary? Why would you go? Yeah. Um, one, I'm super excited. Yeah. I, I, I can't, I can't, I can't, but I can't wait. There's, we're counting down the days now to leave. Um, I can't wait till I get on the plane. Um, there, there are a couple of hurdles. So I'm not going to be at ease until I'm on the plane and we're taking off. Because yeah, you yeah. don't know what might happen. Like we've got PCR tests on Wednesday yeah. that need to return negative results. We've got a visa on, on the day that we're leaving that yeah, needs to yeah. come out. So we're just, you know, praying and hoping everything works so we can actually leave on Thursday. We're not too worried. We've got, you know, we've, been 18 years in delay so it's yeah. it's fine <laughs> what, what a day or two is not going to hurt but um for us um we see why the delay mm. uh, like where everyone's so in a rush to do what they want to do mm, mm. at the same time i'm not trying to give room for waiting and passivity like we've been no, aggressively no. pursuing this but we realized there were certain things that weren't ready like our our prayer life mm. having a spiritual father all of these mm, things mm. now that we have that We've got the community and the family around us to support us to go and all that. Uh, that's been really good for us. But in terms of moving there, like we live in a, like you talk about job security, financial security, like our security is trusting in the Lord. Like yeah. I've never made a cent on my own. Like everything that I have, like Bible says, every good and perfect gift comes from above, yeah. comes from God. Mm-hmm. So everything I have is from him anyway. So whether I'm, whether I'm in Korea, America, Australia, or the Middle East, it's all going to be God's provision anyway. Mm. This is what people don't understand is, oh, you're in ministry, so your money comes from God. I work a job. I earn my money. Mm. No, no, no. Both of those situations, God's the one who provides. Yeah, yeah. Like all the money is his, all the cattle on a thousand hills and, and all the silver and gold is his. It doesn't matter who is the instrument that pays you. Yeah. If you work a nine to five, you know, out in the CBD, God's the one that's giving you the provision. Mm-hmm. You didn't earn mm-hmm. that money like we think. It's my money. I do with it what I want. No, it's, yeah. it's from God. Like everything, mm-hmm. my health, my finances, it's all from God. And even my kids, they're a gift of the Lord. Yeah. Like 
Yep. I'm stewarding them stewarding, and caring yeah. for them and discipling them. I love them. It's my son, my daughter. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, it's they close. belong to the Lord too. And so I have to entrust them into His hands. And it's, and you know, Australia is an amazing country. Like to live here, it's beautiful and there's mm-hmm. so many good things. But in the same way, without God's provision and protection over their life, they could die tomorrow. Yeah. Doesn't matter you know, where you live. Doesn't matter where you live. And so um, I think the safest place to be is smack bang in the middle of God's will. Mm, like in his like so I, it's really the principle of stewardship and understanding where yeah. your help comes from. Yeah. The faith in God that that sits behind everything you yeah. do. So then when it comes to moving your young family, which would be unthinkable for yeah. your average person to the other side of the world um, to a a hard mission field in the Middle East you've already got that principle of stewardship there Mm -hmm. so whether you're in Australia we could earn X amount or in another part of the world it doesn't matter because God looks after you whether your kids are here or there Yeah, Yeah. it's it's really powerful one of the things I'm really looking forward to is modelling for my kids Mm. like it's so hard to model here Mm. Like there's this, so they see me get up on the pulpit, they see me preach, they see me share it and, and do stuff. And then to live that out in a Western context or even in Korea, it's so hard because mm. it's like, it's hard to see. Yeah. Like they don't see the, the heart or they don't see the application of it as clearly mm. as if in the Middle East. Like people want to grow, if you want to grow in your prayer life, go live in the Middle East. Like it changes the way you pray. It like would. you just like, you, the, you know. <laughs> and so with my, same with my kids, like being there and teaching them life lessons, it takes on a whole nother context mm, mm. to be able to model that and show that to them. Mm. And so that I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, trusting in God. I That's do that right. here, but it's, it's different. So you there. see like an element of going in the mission field, not only obviously to reach the local people, mm-hmm. but even to parent. Yeah, and yeah, disciple yeah. your children yeah, as I, well I, as yourself. I would honest. love it if my kids became missionaries. Mm. Like that's that's there's nothing like that would that would be like I'd high five Jane if they say you know we would be, we'd be like we've succeeded. Yeah, you know, in discipling our kids and and for us it's really putting if there is a God like if He was to show up today, like if Jesus was to like literally lift the roof of the church, poke His head in. Mm. And he and he's whoa! There he is. Like we're just singing about you, you know. And then if he and if he was to ask us something, what would it be? And we'll be like, oh Jesus, you should you should come see this conference that we had, you know, or like, oh, we're starting this new ministry, and 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 we'd want to show him all these amazing things that we're doing for him. But I really was thinking, like, what would he ask? Like, what was it that would that he would be like? You know, because kids do that. It's like, you know, it's like, hey, Elijah, clean your room. And then I go do something and I come back. And so I want to be like, did you clean your... And he's like, look at this picture that I drew. You know, that's, that's what kids do. Look at this tower that I made, you know. That's what kids do. And I realize I'd probably do the same thing. Yeah, yeah. But what would be the thing that Jesus would be like, hey, how's this going? And I think it's the Great Commission. Mm. The last thing he said to us before he went to heaven, mm. he said, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Mm. And so I think if he came back, he'd lift the roof on the church and be like, yeah, you know that Great Commission thing that I said just before I left, where all the authority on heaven and earth has been given to me and I gave you that mission. Mm. How's that going? Mm. Mm. And, and I want to be able to say, I'm here mm. doing it. I'm yep. trying, you know, my family, like I want to be in that place where I'm in obedience and in the yes and amen to that great commission. Mm-hmm. 
that's 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 the why I think behind why we're going is we want to be in that place where where that's actually real to us. So if mm. God's real, what's more important or what's what's more joyful than being in that place of serving Him on the mission field? Like yeah, that's yeah. that's the place I want the to ultimate. be. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's great. And it's and that principle, obviously, I know that your heart is you're not saying that saying that everyone should be a missionary mm, or mm, pastor. Mm. We don't want to fall back into that. Uh, but everyone's called to serve and everyone has a calling on their yeah, life. Yeah. And we believe that whether you're a Christian or not, don't we? That yeah. there's a call there. And if people come and meet Jesus Christ, it's amazing. We've seen it many times. Mm-hmm. What is one of the first things that often happens is this sense of like God has a plan for me and a specific purpose for my life. Yeah. And within that ultimately is to serve his mission and to reach the world uh, with his love. And uh, I think doing that in such a practical way on a mission field yep. in a place where there's barely any Christians, um, yeah, it's just phenomenal. It's very inspiring. I, I, I think people um, misunderstand that not everyone is called to go overseas. Mm. Like we see that all the time. We see some really good like school teachers that, that should be missionaries. Mm. And we also see some really good Mission, um, um, really good teachers that should be teachers, but yeah. they're on the mission field. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's like you have to discern like where is God. I think that's how that's if you have homework as a believer, it's to discern where it is that God wants me to be. Yeah, yeah. Um, in the same way that like somewhere like the Middle East or North Africa or anywhere else in the world where you know there's no believers and there needs to be a gospel witness, you could view um, Melbourne like that. Oh, exactly. You know what I mean? Like, it's just as hard in a lot yeah, of ways. It's just different harder context. even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there, there is a need. So that go, people misunderstand the imperative verb in the Great Commission. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people put the emphasis on caps lock, triple exclamation mark, go, yeah. go. You're called yeah. to, to go, you know, and make. But in, in, in the Greek of that actual text, the imperative verb is to make. Mm-hmm. The go is a simple as you go. Yeah, as you're going, yeah. Wherever it is that you go, make. Yeah. Make disciples. Mm. So everyone's like, oh, I didn't go anywhere. No, no, no. If you're here living yeah. in this city, are you making? Mm. Are you reaching out to those around you? Are you reaching your local community? Are you reaching your city? Are you making disciples? Mm. That's the that's the are you part of that process? Mm. And if you're not, that's that's where you need to get on board. Mm. Not not on the going overseas part. Very good. Well, thank you very much for being on the Leadership Lessons podcast today. A big blessing to you and your family as you head off this week uh, to the Middle East. It's just amazing. So we're going to do this again when you're back here visiting. That's brilliant. Thank you. I trust you were impacted by that Leadership Lessons podcast. I would love to hear your thoughts about today's podcast. Please comment down below and please review the podcast and share it with a friend. Doing this inspires us and helps others to find the podcast. See you next time.